there. We are glad to welcome you to a new series we're starting here at the Eugene Church of Christ, The Call of the King. And obviously my font on my computer is not on this computer because it looked way cooler on my computer. But you get the idea. There it is. The Call of the King. We all have busy lives, don't we? We all have a lot going on, but taking time to be with your church, to do things with your church, the inconveniences you go through just to be here this morning, it matters. It matters. And we need to be reminded of that. So this new series, The Call of the King, we're going to spend some time examining the life that God calls us to live. What does he desire from us? And how God makes a way for us to live a life, a good life, through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He calls us to not just survive tooth and nail. He calls us and gives us everything we need in order to thrive. So whether you realize it or not, this church is in a battle for hearts and minds and souls. And we forget, you know, we get comfortable with the day-to-day -day stuff. We forget that people's eternal destiny is at stake. And we need to be reminded of this because at ground level, where you and I live, it might seem more fun to play video games throughout the wee hours of the night until the early morning, so that when I come to church the next day, I've got nothing. I haven't got enough sleep. From the ground level, for some of us, Sundays feel like, or maybe actually are my only day off, or maybe not even Sundays. And I'm stressed, I'm overworked. In a quiet morning with family, it feels like the thing I need. Just time for myself to be alone feels like what may be more important. From the ground level, these people here, they talk a good game about love. But notice, no one seems to notice when I'm not around. We feel like we're in a sea of acquaintances, even in this building. The connections, they're really not as deep as I would like. No one seems to care. From the ground level in my life, I'm busy, I'm tired. You know what? I'm lonely. I am lonely. I know I'm distracted. I know I'm distracted. I'm distracted by all kinds of stuff. But you know what? I just don't really want to deal with people. So does it really matter whether or not I'm actively a part of this church? Does it matter that I come here or not? You know, that's a place where all of us are sometimes. One, sometime or another, we're all in that place. Some of us are in that place now. From the ground level, you know what? I know how best to take care of myself. Thank you very much. I know what I need to do to keep me safe, to keep me pleasured and well-fed. I'll take care of that. Thank you very much, Lord. What I'm talking to you about as we begin this morning. It's a whole lot bigger than church attendance. 
what I'm talking about is how are you going to spend the gift of years that God has given you? We all have a gift of years. None of us knows how, how, long, how long, how much time. What is your life about? How are you going to spend the time that's given to you? So as a missionary in Africa, Tanzania, East Africa, lived in Mwanza and then a little town mining community called Geda, worked uh, with a lot of tribal groups, but the main one was Sukuma, the Sukuma people group. And it was a spiritually oppressive environment. It was a tough environment spiritually. It was not a welcoming environment in a lot of ways. And so I'm just going to build off. Last week, uh, my friend David Young, he kind of shared a little bit about the phenomenal success that our family had being a part of that work and all that God did uh, in those years that we spent there. And although Tanzania was a very dark place that we were living in, and there were casualties, and there were difficulties, and it felt... Have you ever walked into a situation where you could feel darkness? Some of you have. Some of you know what that feels like. It's almost just like a cloud. You can cut through it with a butter knife or something. And even though Tanzania was a very dark place through the Holy Spirit and the way that God was working at that particular time in that particular place, it was an environment of revival. And people, they give me and my family a whole lot of praise and a lot of credit for just the wild success that we have, that we had when we were there. But really, what it was is we were in the right time at the right place, and it was ground zero for a Holy Spirit offensive among the Sukuma people. That is the reason for the success, the wild success of that ministry. And we had a front row seat, me and my family, and we were just struggling to keep up with everything that God was doing. It was, I, I'm not preaching, I'm telling you, it was amazing. It was amazing. I drive in my Toyota Land Cruiser that the, our church bought us an hour out to a rural village. And I'd go and I'd get out and I'd go from hut to hut, mud huts with grass roofs in the middle of nowhere. And I'd say, hey, I'm Calvin. I learned how to speak their language. I want to share with you about Jesus Christ. And I've spent maybe a half hour walking around, 45 minutes, an hour. And before you know it, in the middle of nowhere, there are a hundred people gathered under a mango tree to hear whatever I am going to bring about Jesus Christ. That speaks something to the hunger that people had. And, and not only that, I got letters from neighboring villages and they'd be signed by 60 or 80 or 100 people begging me to come and share with them a word about Jesus Christ. It was a Holy Spirit offensive. 
and they would, they would write things and they would say things to me in Sukuma. Ubebe, nalitogwa kuligwa mihaogwanwa molungu, nalilomba. Ubebe, nalilomba. Please, I want to hear the words of God. I'm begging you, I'm begging you to come. Come share with me, come share with my children, come share with my family. Come tell my neighbors. So I learned what it feels like to baptize so many people at one time that my arms hurt. I had to learn how to pray in the Spirit, how to be bold and walk into strongholds of darkness, how to cast out the demonic and overcome evil with good. I went to Abilene Christian University to get a master's degree, to get trained for all this. Nothing prepared me for what I saw there. There is a spiritual battle we are fighting, whether we realize it or not. And the stakes are high, and the consequences are real. So to use a fishing analogy, that time in my life, the fish were jumping into the boat. They were jumping into the boat. And when the Holy Spirit, he breaks out in power among a people, it is a marvelous thing to behold. And it was a whole lot bigger than me. It was a whole lot bigger than the missionaries who I worked with, the ones that preceded me and the ones that came after me. It was a whole lot bigger than the churches of Christ. It was amazing. And I can't help but having lived that, think about those times and compare it now to the work that I'm trying to do here with you in Eugene, Oregon. You see, Eugene, I would say, is also a spiritually oppressive environment. It's not welcoming of what we're trying to do. Doesn't want to hear what we're trying to bring. The fish, I don't know if you've noticed or not, they're not jumping into the boat here. And not only that, you know, if I'm to be honest, I like this, the way this is built here, and sometimes I imagine what Noah's Ark must have been like, and I think about our church building flipped upside down. It's kind of like a ship. So this is our boat. The Eugene Church of Christ, we, are got a, we got a pretty big boat here, by God's grace. But not only are the fish not jumping in the boat here, if I'm to be honest, a lot of times our lines are tangled. People are yelling at us that we're fishing with the wrong bait. We just don't want that. They're not interested. Um, we have gaping holes in our net. Our boat is sinking because we're taking on so much water. And we try to get worked up and excited about a little nibble that comes here and there. For every fish we pull in, though, two more have jumped out of our boat. We've lost two. And you know what? This last year plus COVID, it's just accelerated this. It's accelerated this. 
So if I were to describe the way it feels, this is just my personal description of the way the spiritual environment of Eugene, Oregon feels, it would be something like this. Everybody's screaming, but no sound is coming out. Everybody's yelling, but there's nothing to hear. It feels like there's no one to hear the silent screams of all the broken souls in this place, and even in this building. Have I encouraged you yet? So a few weeks ago, I'm out in the front parking lot, and uh, I'm trying to catch up. I think I was talking to Bernie and Mary Moore in their car, and a woman, she's crossing over the bridge over there and coming down on the sidewalk, and she sees people in the parking lot, and she begins to yell out at the top of her lungs, God is dead. Your church sucks. And she just keeps screaming stuff like this. And you know what? That woman walking through the neighborhood, she's not my enemy. She's not my enemy. But our enemy uses things like that to discourage us, to make us feel unwelcome, to make us feel like what we do here and our efforts, they don't matter at all anyway. And in this kind of environment, this kind of spiritual oppression, it's easy for us to say, no one really cares, and no one is going to miss me anyway. It's just not that big a deal. I'm tired. I'm done. And so one more One more drifts away. One more leaves our boat. Just quietly slips away from us. Sometimes to find another boat, a better boat, there are better boats out there. Sometimes people think, you know what, I don't really need a boat. I'd be better off without a boat at all. I can tread water. But really, for a lot of people, I think it just seems like a long, slow fade. Our churches have been dealing with this for decades now, and we're tired, and we feel it, and we see how many have gone from among us, and we don't know where they all have gone, and our hearts ache for them, and we miss them terribly. See, the truth is, in the level of distraction that we are facing, most Christians even, they will choose self-serving pursuits over against truly becoming a living sacrifice. That's the war each of us are fighting. Is it all about the Calvin show? Or how am I becoming actually a living sacrifice? Jesus understood this about us. He understood about the capacities, the brokenness, the limitations of the human heart. 
Jesus was very sober in understanding what it is that we're fighting against and what it is we're dealing with. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the one who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. That's talking about distraction and how we're so distracted that our lives, in essence, cease to produce fruit that's useful to God and in the long run useful to us. And at the end of the Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. That means the majority, their love is going to grow cold. It was hot at one point. It was alive and vibrant and life-giving. And now it's cold. It's tired. It's lukewarm. Have I encouraged you yet? <laughs> Have you ever had the thought, why me? Why me? Why do I have to live in the time of a declining church or the place of a declining church? Why do I have to live in the time that I am stuck fighting culture wars over abortion, over marriage, over gender, over fill in the blank? Why is that fall to me? Why do I have to live in a time of endless distractions that entice people away from God? The devil, he had a name before, Lucifer, means Lord of Light. And there is a glow that comes before us each and every day, each and every night. It's the glow of an electronic device that creates a reality that we live in. Maybe it's Netflix, maybe it's social media, all the stuff we're scrolling through, these cell phones, games are there, porn is there, endless distraction. We are being captivated by the Lord of Light who had so much pride that he rebelled against the Lord as God. Why do I have to live in a place where strangers, strangers coming down the road scream at me about how bad my church is? And for those of us who are left in this boat, our little boat here, the Eugene Church of Christ, sometimes we feel discouraged. Sometimes me as your minister, I feel discouraged. Can't get enough volunteers for BUS. Wednesday night, no one comes anymore to listen to anything I have to say. People tell us what a bad job we're doing because your church didn't do this for me. I stopped coming this long ago. Why haven't you dropped everything and... This is what you did for me. This is what you didn't do for me. 
And, you know, the churches these days, we are under more stress now than I think we've ever been under. It feels different. Can you feel the heaviness of it sometimes? Maybe I just, I'm in a different role, in a different position, in a different time, different place, but it feels heavy sometimes. So by way of analogy, I want to show you some pictures. And it's kind of the idea is, you know, under the new stresses that we are facing, it feels like we have dwindling reserves. Our reserves aren't the same as they used to be. And so you remember here in the Pacific Northwest, we had this weird phenomenon called a, a heat dome. And we had record-breaking temperatures. Our, if you didn't have an air conditioner, you were going somewhere, going to the coast, something. And those of you who did have an air conditioner, you know it was struggling to keep up. And it was a record-breaking event. They called it a thousand-year event. The problem is these thousand-year events aren't happening every thousand years. They're happening every decade or more frequently. And so keep in mind, this is just a way of analogy, the stress that this puts on an environment. So the reserves that are there, this is the snowpack on Mount Hood. This is before the heat dome came through. That's Mount Hood there. Here's Mount Hood a few days after that heat dome. More than 30% of the snowpack reserves were gone. Gone, washed out. You see the analogy that I'm making here? Feels like our reserves are being depleted sometimes. And so, um, trees that are under stress in extreme heat, they go through a process called transpiration, uh, where trees release hundreds of gallons of water. Uh, in order, it's a water vapor, so they almost, trees will create a microclimate underneath them, where it's not just the shade, they're noticeably cooler because they're releasing water vapor. It's like our bodies are made. When we feel heat, we perspirate while a tree transpirates to cool down when they are hot. The problem is that many trees were already stressed by drought conditions in the Pacific Northwest, the drought conditions that we faced. And the problem was their roots could not access enough water to be able to transpirate and deal with the extreme heat event that happened. And so when trees begin to die from drought, they die from the top down and from the outside in. I had to call Tyler Claxton to help me understand all of this. All of us have seen people's faith wither and die in our lifetime. Have you not? The, the normal process, the reserves don't seem to be there. There's not enough. There's not enough living. I haven't been able to tap deep enough to deal with the stresses that I'm, and I'm withering. We're feeling, some of us are withering. We're dying from the extreme heat of the trajectory of our cultural environment. And we ask questions like, why me? And to start to answer this question, we're going to look for wisdom in an odd place. 
If you're very close with me, you know that I'm not above referencing wisdom from gray wizards or Jedi masters. And so this morning, we're going to look at a friendship between Gandalf the Grey and Frodo Baggins. And in a tender moment, overcome with the momentous task placed before him, in the throes of the constant onslaught of evil that he is having to face, Frodo Baggins, in essence, asks this, Why me? Why me? The old wizard said this, I wish it need not have happened in my time, said Frodo. So do I, said Gandalf, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. So I would say for us, the real issue is not about how many holes we have in our boat. We have many holes in this boat. When we flip it upside down and we put this in the Fern Ridge, or we're taking on water because there's holes. We know that. The real issue is not how much water we have already taken on. It's a lot. It feels like a lot sometimes. And we can't bail it out quick enough, it feels like sometimes. The real issue is not about our tangled fishing lines. Or the real issue is not about how the colorful fish of Eugene don't like the bait that we're offering or the gaping holes in our fishing net. The real issue is not about us losing two fish for every new one that comes into the boat. Don't get me wrong, these are problems that we have to learn to deal with and we have to get better at these things. We have to get better at these things. But the fundamental issue and the fundamental question we have to answer is what are you going to do with the time that's given you? You can complain about the time you're in, the place you're in, the circumstances you're in, but God puts you here for a reason. What are you going to do with the time that you have been given? So let me talk about the ideas that trap us. We get trapped in places like this. I do too. And the Lord has to rescue me again and again from these places. And I have to repent again and again because I take things that are not mine to carry, because I can't surrender things that he's asking me for. Ideas that trap us. Why me? It's not supposed to be this way. It's not supposed to be this hard. I know it's not supposed to be this hard. No one, no one really cares. Does anything I'm doing really matter? Does it really make a difference in the end? These are ideas that trap us and hold us bondage. But there are bigger questions. 
more important questions that we need to ask. Is Jesus Christ your king? Is Jesus Christ your king? What does your king ask you to do? What does your king want from you? Are you going to obey, obey him or not? Are you going to obey your king? You see, the call of the king, it is bigger than the circumstances you inhabit. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, the most important thing is are you going to respond to the call of your king? You need to remember, too, there will be a time when every knee will bow and every tongue confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth the lordship of King Jesus. There will be that time. But in the meantime, as Gandalf said, you have to decide what to do with the time that's been given you. You have to decide. Are you going to listen to the call of your king? Jesus has given us commands. There are certain things that we're to take up. There are certain things that are off-limit to us. Jesus has given us commands about his church, commands about this boat, commands about the work you're supposed to be involved in, the work you're supposed to be doing, the reason for doing this work, your heart behind this work. And your king just so you know, he didn't promise you that everything would be easy and pleasurable. Have you figured that one out? I have to say this because a lot of Christians try to live like their life is a, cre a pleasure cruise. And we're just floating along, sipping Mai Tais under the tropical sun or whatever it is. I don't know what it is whatever your version of that is. And we think it's such an inconvenience when we find out the times that we're not invited to pure, pure pleasure cruise, but instead we're invited into a battle and to fight a war. You've been drafted into a war. Did you know that? But the good news for us is that our king, he doesn't just call you. He also equips you. He gives you everything you need, not to just survive, but to thrive as well. And so we're going to end this morning from Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. I want you to notice the verbs there. Walking. What direction are you heading in? Who are you allowing give, to give you directions? Are you going with the flow? 
Who are you journeying with? What are the, who are the ones you're following as you're walking? Walk. Stand. Standing. Who are you making your stand with? Who have you invited into your foxhole? Sitting. Who are you resting with? Who's, a, who's your chill-out crew? Who do you hang with? Blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. What do you delight in? What is the delight of your heart? The call of King Jesus is to keep company with him and to delight in his word. In fact, Jesus describes the good life, the good life available to you, not in terms of wealth or comfort or security, the fulfillment of pleasures, or, not, or never having a problem in this life. The good life that Jesus describes is a life filled with his presence and filled with his words. The word of God giving us a direction to walk. The word of God giving us a place to stand. The word of God and the presence of God himself to be a strong tower of refuge, a resting place. A place to sleep. Do you trust that the Lord your God, your King, has the power and the goodness to help you not just survive but thrive? Do you believe that? The one who does that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, it prospers. You want to know how we survive the heat domes in our life? How we survive dwindling snowpacks? How we survive the discouragement of all the fish that have jumped out of our boat? It's by delighting ourselves in the call of our King, the sound of His voice, to know his ways, to know his desires for us. That's the place of thriving. That's what keeps our lives from becoming just barren desert hills. In Jesus Christ, our King, we become like a tree planted by streams of waters. We become an oasis in the heat waves of this world. And so, uh, if you were to put the sermon in a nutshell, you come up, Dad. I'm done. Sermon in a nutshell. Here's two things. 
The call of the king takes priority over the circumstances you inhabit. That's one. The call of the king takes priority over the circumstances you inhabit. Number two is this. The call of the king is a call to thrive through feasting on his word. Feasting on the word of God. Because it's the word of God that helps us know what our king is like, what our king would have us do to understand my place in the war my king is fighting. You know what? There may come a time when this church closes its doors. There may come a time when we are all scattered to the wind. That the best and bravest among us, they have died and gone their own way with the Lord. And when there's no one left to take care of what's going on here, the Lord knows. But somewhere, there are always, always going to be some who when they hear the call of the king, they will respond, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. There will always be some. There may not be many, but there will always be some. In our boat here, There will always be people trying to untangle our fishing lines. In our boat here, there's always going to be people bailing water. There's always going to be people trying to patch the holes in our boat. There's always going to be people in this place who are trying to mend our broken nets. And when people jump out of our boat and they yell at us and tell us the things that we've done wrong, we are, we're going to listen. And when we are convicted in heart, we are going to repent. And we're going to learn how to do things better and how to love people better. We will keep trying to follow the call of our king. We're going to learn how to encourage better. We're going to learn how to keep a few more brothers and sisters from jumping out and jumping ship and giving up and giving in. That is our call. That is the call of the king. Your invitation today is this. How are you going to use the time that is given to you? Let's stand and sing.